Welcome back, everybody, to the Prepared Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Austin. I am hanging out. Got got a little bourbon going on. It's a Tuesday evening, so that means we have another great episode coming at you folks today. And there's all kinds of stuff that we talk about today with my guest. Um, didn't actually get into any current events. You know, uh, if you're following the news right now, you know that uh, President Trump's home, Mar-a-Logo, or Mar-a-Lago, whatever, was raided by the FBI. Um, so that's never been done. That's never something that a former president has had to suffer the indignity and embarrassment of. Um, or, I mean, most politicians go their entire careers and lives without going through something like that. Um, <clears throat> it's all going on apparently under the the alleged assumption that he uh, has stored uh, sensitive documents or White House documents uh, illegally or inappropriately in his home or something. Um, funny because, you know, nothing ever happened to Hillary Clinton, but, you know, as we've seen uh, with that situation with the uh, missing servers, uh, it's just a different, it's just, you know, different set of rules for the Democrats versus Donald Trump and the Republicans. So uh, plenty going on in the world. Um, and if that doesn't concern you, it, it, it really probably should. Honestly, it's part of, you know, what we talk about here sometimes just being well-prepared citizens and being able to see the world for, for what it really is. Um, and that, you know, some of these leaders in these positions of power not always having your best interests uh, at heart, but I digress. Um, I have a great, great conversation, great episode for you guys this week. I am joined by Blake Flannery. He is one of the cadre members at Orion Training Group. He also owns his own training company, Maneuver Training Solutions, LLC. Uh, and Blake's a great dude. You know, he's a former, uh, you know, Force Recon Marine, uh, 20 years in the Marine Corps. So he's a, he's a wealth of knowledge and experience. Uh, we got into all kinds of stuff, talked about gear and kit, camouflage, you know, uh, stuff that I, I didn't have any idea, right, that we would jump into. Um, and, you know, I learned a ton from Blake in just our, our brief, you know, interaction that we had. It was about uh, an hour and 45 minutes. And I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I'm excited for you guys to be able to check this all out. As always, before I get over to my conversation with Blake, I do have to recognize our presenting sponsor here at The Prepared Mindset because we are a sponsored podcast. Eclipseholsters.com sponsors us. They are a fantastic, fantastic company, and they hooked us up with a discount code, Prepared Mindset. That's all one word, Prepared Mindset, and it's going to save you all 20% off your order. Guys, whether you're looking for a holster, a mag carrier, uh, a self-defense tool, tourniquets, tourniquet holder, concealed carry belt, uh, whatever you are looking for, Eclipse will take care of you. All right. I have personally uh, had a relationship with this company as a consumer long before I began this podcast, and my excellent, excellent interaction with Jess and her team is... <laughs> It's what led me to wanting to work with them uh, on a professional level, on a partnership level. Again, our code prepared mindset is going to save you 20% off. Pick up a holster, pick up a mag carrier, pick up a second holster, you know, get something outside the waistband. All right. They have great offerings for whatever you're looking for with a light, without a light. Glock, 1911, SIG, MP. Whatever you need, Jess and her team can get you squared away. They can get you taken care of. And if for whatever reason, by some odd chance, they can't, they, they don't, 
they don't they don't cover the mold uh, or, or model pistol right that you that you need um, they don't have you know exactly what you're looking for they will be able to make a confident recommendation to one of their industry partners that will be able to get you a quality holster and get you set up so that you can carry safely and confidently ASAP. They also, they own holsterbuilder.com guys. They're, they're a great, great, uh, piece of the industry. They supply a lot of companies, a lot of the parts and pieces that, that, uh, are used to make holsters for lots of your other favorite companies out there. So head over to eclipseholsters.com, check out all the fantastic work that Jess and her family are doing. And again, one more time, uh, it's ooh, prepared mindset, one word, 20% off your order, have it to you in the mail, three business days or less, spend over $100. They're going to upgrade you to free FedEx two-day shipping. Go check it out and take advantage today and help support the Prepared Mindset podcast. Okay. All right. Uh, that's that's what I got for you folks. Um, we're going to jump on over to my discussion with Mr. Blake Flannery of Orion Training Group, Maneuver Training Solutions. Here it is. Check it out. Blake, welcome to the podcast, man. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. I'm excited to have you on. Uh, oh, I know, thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, you've got a lot of a lot of content uh, out there, and I think you're you've been pretty impactful. You know, I think with what you're what you're out there sharing, uh, and especially with the amount of people that are actually starting to, you know, jump into how do I use my kit? How do I train appropriately? What do I need to know? You know what I mean? Not just, yeah, I got this stuff and that's enough. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So let's start off, uh, if you could really quickly, just uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself uh, and, and what you're doing. And then we're going to, we're going to get right into it. All right. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Blake Flannery. I retired from the Marine Corps uh, last summer after 20 years on active duty. Wow. Uh, I started off in Marine Corps Infantry, and after a few years, I transitioned over to uh, Force Recon, took selection for that, and that's how I spent the last 17 years of my career. Uh, in that time, I spent a good amount of time also as an instructor in a multitude of subjects, and about uh, about a year out from retiring, I, um, I had already had the Instagram, but I put it to public and focus on putting more educational stuff out there and it's just kind of taken off yeah and 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 it's i think pretty well received i think that i think that with what you're doing it's applicable to what everybody either needs to hear or needs to see you know and it's i don't want to say it's in generalities but what we get with a lot of guys in the uh let's say community, right. Or, or, or culture, right. Is, Hey man, you got to buy this chest rig. You got to have this one because it's the best and you got to run it in this color yeah. because this is going to work great for whatever. And that's one of the things I really like about what you talk about is, Hey, if you have a chest rig, here's what you should do. Here's how you should run it. You know, things like that. And it's just, it's, it's ap- applicable to everyone. Right. Um, it's information that everybody can take. They can learn something from or realize, Hey, maybe whatever I'm doing, you know, it really isn't working the way I thought, or that's something I never thought about. You know, this is context and perspective that I, you know, I just never realized because I don't know, right. We don't know what we don't know. Um, so 
kind of, I just, I want to get right into it. Cause I know there's a bunch of stuff you've talked about. Um, so let's start, I mean, chess rigs, right? So I think one of the, we were kind of talking about a couple of social media personalities prior to, you know, the recording here, but I think one of the big things that's been pushed in the last couple of years with people, right. Is if you can't afford good plates, just buy a chest rig, you'll be fine. You should have that. Right. Yeah. There's so much more around that. Right. Like, yeah, I, I mean, there is, there's, there's credence in that. Like, Hey, plates can be expensive. Even, you know, lower and more affordable plates, it's still expensive. Oh yeah. And then the good carriers that you're going to put them into, you know, that's another few hundred bucks. So like, that's a major purchase. And for people that are like, I want a load carrying solution. Now a chest rig is usually a much more affordable way to go and you get to start feeling out like how do I build a fighting load uh and, and so I think that's a good idea for a lot of people you know whether you are I, I hate saying just a civilian but if if you're you know a civilian or you have separated from the military and you know you don't have any kit um that's a good place to start if you're kind of strapped for cash uh, I would still say that in general, the plate carrier is going to be the best platform for building the fighting load uh, just because mm-hmm. it gives you armor. Um, however, chest rigs are still good. And then I always kind of defeat my own point in a way that um, tactics, techniques, and procedures are your first and foremost step and mitigating any kind of injury or wounding in a fight. Um, if you have shit tactics, it doesn't matter, you know, how much body armor you yeah. have, right. You're still going to become a casualty. However, comma, uh, PPE. So personal protective equipment, you know, plates, helmet, gloves, hearing protection, eye protection, uh, all that stuff um, plays into it. And the more that you can give yourself, because things happen and we can never take out that human factor uh, of mistakes that you're going to make as an individual and the, the things that you just can't predict and plan for. Um, you want to have that PPE to further mitigate you actually being injured or wounded. Um, so plate carriers, I think you're great. Uh, I think the biggest problem, like you said, is a lot of people, and I think it's, I think it's more in an attempt to tag the companies and be like, Hey, look at me, you know, I'm using your stuff, company X, look at me, look at me, look at me and hopefully become the next big personality on social media via just trying to get companies to look at them and be like, look, I'm pushing all your stuff. And they are like totally loyal you know, to that one company. And like, so that company, they make everything the best. Well, and I think Um, we, we saw a lot of that. Uh, it's, it has, I, I think anyways, I think it's shifted in the last year or so here, maybe because we've seen a couple influencers kind of, I don't know, but the focus for a while there, right. Was like minimalist chest rig, right. Like spiritus placard. Um, and the, I say spiritus because I feel like that's just the one everyone knows, but those like micro rigs and mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you can run with this. You're, you got three mags and you're, you know, you're lightweight, you're, you're ready to go. And that's what everybody bought because that's who people on YouTube 
or, or what I should say people on YouTube were saying was this is good enough. The, you know, the Spiritus, uh, I know they're, every company makes one, it seems like, right? This placard, just buy an H harness, throw it together, you're good to go. And everyone assumed, right, that was good enough. Now we're starting to see, again, maybe due to influencers, maybe due to a better, I would like to think anyway, just due to a better uh, level, a better quality of content being introduced, such as your own, right? Where there's an explanation behind, you know, three mags is good. <clears throat> seven would be better, right? You something that's load bearing, you can have extra pockets to store, you know, whatever adjacent items you need, right? There's more, this is something that, you know, uh, that you well know, right? Jared at Orion training group talks a lot about context and nuance being more important than the, the, what you need to have. Right. Yeah. And I think we're finally seeing that people are starting to invest in things like a velocity, uh, you know, chest rig rather than just taking the placard off their plate carrier and throwing an H harness on it or an X harness and not realizing which one's going to fit them better or what the potential risks are by not understanding what, what gear choices they're making. Right. Yeah. I mean, even look at those companies, you know, now all those companies are pushing out platforms for you to take their micro rigs and take their placards and clip it into this platform. And now it gives you real estate on the sides to add the other stuff that you need. Um, and I think, I think a lot of it came from misinterpretations of what people saw because since 2000, I don't know, 11, 12 ish. Um, most of what you're seeing when it comes to military, you know, in action is special operations guys, um, mm -hmm. because they're still deploying. Uh, you weren't seeing as much conventional. If you were still seeing a lot of photos of, uh, conventional guys, you'd be seeing the, the bigger and heavier loadouts. Um, but now, you know, these soft guys, they have lighter loadouts because they have incredibly robust logistics behind them. And, uh, they're also working with partner force. So you might see like one little team of soft, uh, but they're working with like a hundred partner force. Um, and I know a lot of guys who are like, yeah, I didn't carry a lot because my partner force guys are all carrying like 14 mags. So I don't <laughs> need to carry a full loadout because I'll just take mags off of them. Most of them are just hiding anyways. And I'm like, okay, dude, like that's amusing. That's funny, but I'm still not relying. I yeah. would not rely on that. Um, and so I think a lot of they get lost in translation. And of course, you know, it's not like the soft guys are, you know, coming on to social media in the droves, like, Whoa, you need to understand what's going on there. They're just, they're minding their own business. They're going with their lives. And, you know, some of their photos sure. end up on, on the internet and all that. And then you start seeing these companies generate these things and people are like, Oh, well, this is the way. And you know what, if you are, just setting something up to have like a basic load carrying solution. Mm -hmm. A micro rig is, is okay. And one of the things I like about some of them, um, like the Spiritus, for example, is it's very modular, you know, so you can put all the different adapters and inserts in there and you can put the wings on it and you put hangers on it and you can actually kind of build it out to a decent solution. Um, you just got to know like what, what is that solution? Uh, right. <clears throat> So yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Um, and then a lot of people, uh, this kind of more of a pet peeve for me, I guess, but I see a lot of people now are like, they want to run their chest rigs, but they're still running gun belts to like 
run off into the woods. And it's like, if you actually go and do that for days at a time, you are going to hate that. Um, you know, <laughs> the, oh, the, you are, the, you are the absolutely going to hate yeah, having like a gum belt on and your chest rig and then your ruck because as you start making long movements and crossing obstacles, that's going to start rubbing on your hips. It's going to start hitting your legs. The ruck's going to sit on it. And then every time you want to stop and like change layers, you know, either layer up, layer down, you got to take all that off, change your layers, then you got to put your fighting load back on. Uh, it's just, it's a lot, you know? And yeah. so that's why like everyone freaked out when I, I showed how I built out the uh, tracer tactical rig. Um, but that's what it looks like. If you're going to build a, uh, a rig for that specific mission set, which was uh, deep ground reconnaissance, it, it's going to be a big rig because it's one rig that I have to deal with. Um, but in general, I've, I've tried to stay away from, you know, absolutes and the things that i post about um mm -hmm. but definitely like talking about micros i did a lot not a lot but a good amount of posting i would say uh earlier on about like look man like you really don't want to be trying to like buy these micro rigs and slap it on your plate carrier because you're gonna build it out and it's gonna be really thick and you already have plates and body armor underneath it so trying to get in the prone and trying to fit through tight spaces is going to be difficult. And then the whole idea of like you can unclip it so you can go do recce shit. Like that's not how it works. Like <laughs> performing reconnaissance is a task. It's not a gear setup, you know, like. I think that's a I distinction that a lot of people on the internet would be upset to realize. Uh, <clears throat> it's, it's a distinction. Yeah, I, I deal with it more, more than, um, regular everyday folks i deal with the guys that are in the military i deal yeah. with infantry guys and they're like yeah we because they're issued um a chest rig you know with their plate carrying everything they're like yeah our sops have it clipped in so when we're doing patrol base ops we drop our armor we put in our chest rigs and we go conduct reconnaissance patrols i'm like and what is the point of your reconnaissance patrol well to gain and maintain contact with me well if you're going to fight have armor like you ditched your body armor <laughs> to go find the bad guys to pick a fight Right. Like, and I've had people get really upset with me about it. Um, cause you know, they go to the jungle and they're like, yeah, we well, can't wear body armor in the jungle. I'm like, you can't wear body armor in the jungle, but guys could wear it in the deserts of Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria, where it's like 120 degrees and do right. foot patrols for kilometers at a time in the middle of the day. But you can't do it in the jungle now because it's, it's humid. Yeah. Um, so a more the, apt statement would be, it's really uncomfortable to go to carry armor. Yeah. In there, and that's that's a problem is people, when you start looking at things, it is really easy to make comfort based decisions. Like, well, you know, it's really hot and we're sweating, and I got to think about heat mitigation. So you're like, well, I'm going to wear the chest rig. It's like you are really just looking to try and cut some weight on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. You're not really thinking about the mission at hand. Uh, yeah. So the whole thing is, is, you know, interesting. Um, but as far as chest rigs go, I have always, uh, for years since I started using them, um, and all my time as a recon team leader, a platoon sergeant, operations chief, an instructor. And since I've been putting it out on the internet, 
is find a good Molly platform. Um, yeah. cause like, yeah, the, the rigs that are put out by like, uh, I think you mentioned like the Mayflower rig, mm-hmm. like there's some decent rigs out there. Um, but when you buy one that's, that's pre-sewn and everything's preset, uh, a lot of those like utility pouches or GP pouches around them are kind of just like thrown on and maybe the like people, filler. Yeah. Yeah. It's maybe the people who made them had like a specific use item for those pouches, but in general, like you buy it and it's like, I don't know what to put in this thing. So you just shove some random crap because I have empty space on my gear. So I have to fill it. Whereas if you have a Molly platform, um, especially a Molly platform that already has like some kind of internal magazine capacity, you can build that out to whatever you need. Right. Like if you need, if you need to set up a deeper constants rig and have 12 mags and frags and smoke and radio and water and all that, you can do that. If you just need six mags and some other basics, you can do that. If you just need four mags, you can do that. Like it, it gives you a billion then, as the gear industry continues to progress and technology gets better and people are making more lightweight pouches and things that are more useful and different camo patterns that you can buy that and you just swap pouches out. Um, yeah. So well, I, 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 find it, I find it interesting that <clears throat> you see so many guys talk about it on the, I mean, it's the internet, right? So predominantly civilian, but it's always uh, the jump towards right? The, the recon loadout or a, a recce loadout. And it's just, it's, I, I don't want to say it's funny cause it's really not, but you know, you look at what you see some people doing and then somebody like yourself, right. Who's actually experienced a lot of these things firsthand and has the, the knowledge to say, that's not a good idea. You really shouldn't fucking do that. Okay, fine. Go ahead and do it, but you'll find out. You know what I mean? Uh, like these guys that'll they'll load up like the huge rucks. And like you said, they'll throw on a gun belt and all this shit. And like, yeah, I'm going to go hiking through the woods with my buddies for seven and a half hours. And it's like, okay, um, to what end? You know, are you really trying to prepare for this? Did you really think everything out thoroughly or vet this or research this? Do you even really need to be building these skill sets? You know I mean? It's yeah. Well, I mean, the skill sets, I don't think it's too much of a problem, you know, but again, like the gun belt, I think is one of those other things is it's lost in translation. Like you see special operations guys and they've got a they've got a rifle or a carbine and they've got a pistol on. So you're like, well, that's what you need to do. And then you play video games, and the like, every video game, it's like in the tutorial entry level first person shooter, yep. don't reload, it's faster to go to your pistol. So it's like, you know, <laughs> go to the pistol. Everyone's like, Oh, I need I should carry a pistol. Yeah. Um, and things like that's that's for again a specific mission set if you're finding yourself fighting often in close quarters or intentionally fighting in close quarters it is going to be faster to transition to a pistol than it is to figure out why your rifle stopped firing and fix that because it could just be an empty chamber and you could do a speed reload or it could be a double feed you know and now you're sitting here looking at two rounds trying to be jammed in your chamber and the bad guy's shooting you because you didn't just transition to a pistol um, and on that same note, like, I, I know it's happened. Um, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head personally. And I myself never had to transition to my pistol because I just took care of my rifle. 
Mm-hmm. Like it never, it never malfunctioned on me because I would did all my function checks. I did my maintenance. We would do our test fires and making sure our zeros are still good and, you know, keeping up on our skills. And then I would do my magazine exchanges and not run my gun dry because that's intentionally inducing a malfunction. I would do my tack reloads and keep the gun fed. So like it, it's not needed. Um, which kills me because you get those guys that want to talk about how little they clean their rifle and how badass they are. Cause they just, they just run it until it starts to choke. I'm like, well, and, and that's the thing too, is like, I, I would teach that the infantry guys as well. Cause they would show up and they'd be like, you have to clean your rifle all the time. And I held up, I, there's one class and I went to go show them. And I was like, I haven't cleaned my rifle since. And I stopped cause I couldn't actually remember the last time I cleaned my rifle. Wow. And I was like, well, but it will run. Like mm-hmm. my, my M4 and like my down defense and like a lot of guns with decent enough ammo, like they will run. There's a group I train right now and they use primarily frangible ammo and it's super dirty and it leaves like this weird gunky film inside the gun. So you have to clean them every day. You have to sure. clean them every day or it's going to mess it up. And that's the same thing that was happening with Kalashnikovs and M16s in Vietnam and why everyone thinks that M16s are terrible guns that jam all the time because it happened for a short period of time, like a few months in Vietnam, right. and then they fixed it. Whereas the Kalashnikov was always messed up because it had shit ammo and they were just rusting and then they would throw it away and get a new one. Right, mm-hmm. but that's the super reliable, you know, never fail gun. Um, so you you gotta know your ammo, but you can run those things super dirty, um, and still. <laughs> Like they're not going to go down on you. So that's, again, it's understanding like why. And I even taught that at a class uh, two weekends ago. I was like, hey guys, it's a pistol carbine class. So we're going to work some transition drills just so I can show you the mechanics and you understand it. So if you want to train it on your own time, yeah. if you're going and doing stuff with your pals, you know, now you know how to do it. And I was like, you probably don't need to. Like, I don't think any of us when our front door is kicked in are gonna be like hold up guys and trying to throw on full kit and your gun belt you know and then you're basically yeah. saying that i know my rifle is gonna fail so i have to have this pistol at my side like instead know your rifle is going to do the right thing yeah um, no and and yeah, that kind so of goes back to there's a lot of things like that <clears throat> yeah i mean talking about it skill sets are always good to have right um and i agree with you on that point but I do find it odd that some people like to focus so much on particular skill sets. And it goes back, I think like what you were saying, where you do it for the gram or you do it for the likes or you do it for whatever's trendy, you know? Um, and I think that there's, and again, this is just my opinion and my, my observations is that a lot of people want to, they want to emulate what they see as cool. Right. So they want to go strap on the rook and they want to go spend all the time in the woods and they want to run around with their buddies and stuff. And that's, definitely good to have you know uh when i went out and trained land nav with my buddy uh for the first time completely fucked my life up that there's (laughs) three norths and that you i mean like if you just follow north on your compass as it aligns like you're you're gonna get really screwed up really quickly but a lot of these people that do this they live like where i live in very very suburban areas where the houses are like 12 feet apart and it's tracked housing and you got to drive an hour and a half plus, you know, to, to get to those woods realistically. 
So if it ever did come down to a situation, like which skill set are you going to use first? Uh, concealed carry tactics or your rucking, your land nav? Again, not to say you shouldn't know yeah. both, but prioritize one over the other. And I mean, sad to say it, but you know, sometimes the the stuff that's most applicable, I think is probably some of the least sexy, like just learning how to avoid getting into shit. But, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like people should learn or should be learning how to fight in their environment. So if you live in a city, then you should be learning how you, you know, how are you going to defend yourself how to identify, you know, when things are changing for the worse and how to exfil out of the area before you end up embroiled in whatever that problem is. Mm -hmm. And then if you can't avoid it, like you need to be able to fight your way out. And, you know, that's not just with a firearm or a knife because not everything can be solved that way. Like you need to be able to throw hands. You right. need to understand grappling like combatives to get away from a situation. There are a lot of people who rely on that concealed carry and you forget that like if that other person decides that to tackle you, right? Cause they don't have <laughs> a weapon, but they're just going to tackle you, come at you, start swinging and you both, you end up on the ground. Well, what are you going to do? You know? And at, you know, at some point, obviously there might be a, point in that situation where you could draw your pistol assuming you're able to get it done and fire and then again based on where you live that might be a really bad idea for you you know so it's like you have to understand those little nuances um and you know people will come and argue the validity of laws and ordinances to the blue in the face but the fact matters that they exist right so you can mm -hmm. complain about a law and ordinance or you can a train to work within those current constraints and restraints and then Absolutely. b you can become active within your community and your local politicians be like hey this is a messed up law this doesn't make any sense if i'm trying to defend myself uh and then either you can get it changed or maybe you just don't understand it and somebody actually explains it to you and they're like you're a healthy human being if you're being attacked by a senior citizen, you are not in threat of your own life. So right. sorry, you can't shoot someone else's grandpa. Like <laughs> it's just the all way that, the world works. Yeah. All that, you know, and then like when it comes to the, the you know, people, I mean, I love people getting out and going in the woods and, and getting back to nature and all that good stuff. I think it's totally. great that, that field craft orienteering and people have asked me like, are you going to teach reconnaissance? Are you going to teach reconnaissance? And I'm like, I have zero plans of teaching like dedicated reconnaissance courses and classes um through orion we are going to be doing you know small unit maneuver and it's basically a patrolling class and teaching you how to organize into a small unit and move from <laughs> point a to point b and stuff like that and that that may graduate to some other things um and it's not that i want to be a, a a badge protector or anything like that but if I train a bunch of, you know, random people to do the things that I did in that realm, the only thing you can do with that really is get yourself in trouble. Yeah. I, th I think as responsibly armed civilians, um, and it's something I've said on this podcast before, right? Cause 
you're talking even in the realm of concealed carry, right? A firearm, carrying it is a responsibility. <clears throat> in a lot of instances, it's a, uh, I don't view it as a sword. I view it as a shield, right? So it's a way to protect yourself. And I think that a lot of training and a lot of education and a lot of content is geared in with that in mind. So to your point, I think that makes sense to be able to teach people how to successfully traverse the woods and work as a small team. Um, and that, that can allow you to be right, effectively, uh, safe and protect yourself or your family unit, whatever you have going on. Right. Versus I'm fairly certain some of the re, uh, quote recon, uh, skill set that people are wanting to learn is not exactly conducive to that mentality. Right. I mean, it just, it crosses yeah, some lines, I think. Yeah. I mean, and there's, there's some things like, you know, some basic scouting and stuff like that, that you know, you would use if you were hunting. And, and there are a lot of like parallels in the skill sets. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do not foresee myself like sitting down and training people in dedicated, you know, ground and amphibious reconnaissance and surveillance. Like, some of the things that lead up to it with the, the movements and the land navigation and a little, you know, some basic scouting, like being able to look for trails and things like that stuff that people could use, you know, whether they want to go hunting or um, one of the kind of the premises behind the small unit maneuver class with Orion is what if you're being organized for a search party, you know, there's somebody who's lost in the woods and you're oh, being yeah. organized for a search party. Like, you know, understanding how people traverse terrain uh, so that you know where good places look and how to fan out and how to find them and what to look for to, for signs of people. And, and that's, you know, again, that's like basic tracking and like hunter skills. Um, yeah. Basic not, field craft more than, more than it would be. Yeah. It's not, the, it's not the same as like how to set up a, you know, a hide site in a final firing position with a, precision weapon and cameras and conduct surveillance <laughs> and stuff like that, you know, and I, I get where people would want to um, because it's fun when you're just going to go out and do it for a day or overnight. Um, but it's not fun when you do it for real, for real. Uh, and that was always one of the speeches I would give to my uh, basic recon students for the four long years that I taught there. Um <laughs> I was like, you are going to hate this job. Like nothing about this is going to be fun. And we would all tell them like, no one's going to write a book about you. No one's going to make a movie about you. No one's going to make a song or a TV show. Well, then somebody made generation kill, but we're like, no one's going to make another TV show. Uh, yeah. like, it's, just, it's not the way that this works. Like we, we are like the bastard children of this domain because we're not soft because we're not under SOCOM, right? So if you're not under special operations command, you're not special operations. So even though you're going to be trained to all the same standards, you're going to have gear that's somewhere in between like conventional and, and what soft has, and you're going to be asked to perform the same tasks to the same standard. And no one's going to thank you. I didn't, I don't know that I ever actually realized that I, I would have thought that force recon would have fallen under the special operations umbrella, but that's no. Um, so, I mean, there's a long sordid history with the Marine Corps and uh, reconnaissance. Um, 
And SOCOM pushed for it. They pushed for like, hey, put Force Recon under SOCOM. Like Marine Corps, you're not participating in this thing. And eventually that led to them creating uh, Marine Detachment 1. They were around for like three years. Yeah, it was like three years. They deployed a couple times as a unit. Um, and SOCOM was like, okay, like this works for us. We like this construct. So go ahead and set up your Marine Special Operations Command. And at first, they basically took all the Force Recon guys and made them into the two Marine Special Operations Battalions. Um, some of us, unfortunately, were deployed and uh, by other people's design were uh, <laughs> not grandfathered in. Um, is that is that you? Are you salty about that or is that? Yeah, yeah, a little, a little bit. bit. It was frustrating. You know, it was the whole thing was funny, like we were getting ready to deploy and there's this massive, so uh, platoons are about 25 guys of yep. recon platoon in general. And a force platoon was like 25 guys. And there was like this 50 man group walking into the compound. And I was like, Oh man, we look at my team. I'm like, do we have company formation today? He's like, no, <laughs> I'm like, what are, why are all these guys showing up? Like you never see that, right? Like company formations happen like once a year. And I'm like, what is going on? He's like, oh no, that's the new, that's the new platoon construct. I'm like, dude, that's 50 guys or more. That's all, mm -hmm. that's the company. That's not a one platoon. He's like, I don't know, man, that's the new platoon thing. And they were like, first platoon or third, I, I forget. We were second platoon. And then all of a sudden they became alpha company. And I'm like, how can they be a company within a company because that's not how like the construct of you know the military right works. how the platoons structure make, works yeah platoons make companies companies make battalions and so on and so forth and i'm like this doesn't make any sense and then we deployed and like two months two three months into our deployment we were on ship my team leader walked in the birthing he's like yeah we belong to first recon battalion now and i'm like that's not funny like, it's a <laughs> bad joke dude he's like i'm not joking He's like, we belong Damn. to first recon battalion. And then like, he kind of, he didn't know much, but he laid out what he knew. And I was like, wow, that's kind of a slap in the face mm -hmm. like, because, because we're deployed. Like we don't get pulled into whatever this new thing was, but you know, it, it is what it is. It's not something I'm like really upset about. I think a lot of us were just irritated about how it went down. Um, and then there were a lot of other things that dominoes that fell. And ultimately, most of that platoon ended up uh, separating from the Marine Corps shortly after that deployment uh, yeah. because of it all. But it was a good deployment, um, great platoon and all that stuff. But yeah, and then so Force Recon was um, our colors were folded. And then about two years after that, you know, Marine Corps was like, oh, yeah, this SOCOM, this MARSOC thing, this isn't for us. Like we don't get to tell them where to go and what to do. And we don't get to task them if Have our Marine control, Air Ground Task right? Force. So it's like, we're going to need those Force Recon guys back. So they didn't pull them back, um, but they used those of us that were held uh, at that Marine Division level to then stand the Force Companies back up. Uh, so, um, but yeah, we. so long story short, which I'm not good at, <laughs> is force recon was never actually under the special operations command um but 
because before MARSOC, uh, Marine Special Operations Command, we had to provide the MU and the uh, combat, uh, combatant commanders and you know any other joint task force commander with a special operations capable force. Marine Force Recon trained to those standards, and so did Battalion Recon. We trained to soft standard. We operated off of the same doctrine in pubs, went to the same schools. Um, we just didn't fall under SOCOM. Yeah, the right organization um, umbrella to satisfy yeah. that title. And, and there was I, a time, uh, you know, like when I got to Force Recon, like we did have the best gear in the Marine Corps. Um, no one had better equipment than us. Wow. But then once Marsoc stood up and uh, things changed, uh, we had typically better gear than, you know, the, the infantry guys. Um, we would have more of it. Um, but it slowly started actually kind of evening out. And right as I was retiring, um, the infantry battalions were being fielded, you know, newer equipment before the recon battalions were. That's crazy to think about. That's. Yeah. I mean, it, it was frustrating, um, but not because like, I don't think the infantry guys should have that equipment. Oh, definitely it's not. Like the problem is that like, we're like the bastard, like I said, but we're the bastard children that nobody really likes. So we're like the last ones anyone thinks about when it comes to fielding, you know, new gear, unless we very specifically go to the Marine Corps. Like we as recon need like this specific thing, mm -hmm. um, you know, but if it's conventional equipment, like the new service rifle, the uh, HK, you know, the infantry battalions get them before, you know, our guys do typically. It, it's, it's a weird thing with fielding and internal Marine Corps politics. Um, well, and, 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 you know, I have a buddy that used to be a TAC P in the air force. Right. And once I found out what that was after doing a little bit of Googling, cause I just, I, I didn't know. <clears throat> and sadly, yeah. I think a lot of folks don't understand what that is, but I was like, Oh, so you're like special operations. He's like, well, kinda I was like, well, what does that mean? And like, doesn't that mean you like ran around with nods and like smoke dudes and like did all kinds of crazy shit. He was like, Oh no, that was, those these other guys like I got all the hand-me-down equipment I'm pretty sure the rifle I got had like 60 dudes that, that like molested this thing before it got to me and like shit fell apart all the time and it, it was awful and I ran like a, a you know a single tube you know nod and and it it's not what you what you're thinking I'm like but yeah but wait a minute in the video game he's like dude just forget it like it's not it's not all that you think <laughs> he's like this and that's that's one of the things that really, you know, talking about people that, that don't specifically, you know, know much about this, uh, you know, culture or firearms or anything when they throw on the term military grade weaponry or military grade gear, then why do you need that? I'm like, I think you should back up because you, you don't understand what you're saying when you say military grade, because that doesn't mean that doesn't always mean better. No, it doesn't mean best. It means you can beat the living piss it out of it durable for longer then you can beat the living piss out of something that is not mil spec. Um, right. But like, you know, that's, that's very relative. And really what it just means is that they were tested for that. And usually it's drop testing. Um, <laughs> Cause that happens. Yeah. But you know, it's like, you know, I ran mil spec triggers of course, and in, in all my rifles and I got really fast with my M4 but I have a Geisley trigger in my Daniel defense and I'm just a little bit faster 
you know, it's a little right. bit easier to run that trigger, but with another group I train with, I still train on a mil spec trigger and I can still run it pretty damn fast, but it like, I definitely notice it. Like yeah. this thing's a little bit clunkier, a little bit heavier. Um, but you know, with, with time, you can run pretty much anything, uh, pretty damn well. Well, and that's, that's just one of those things. I think people look to it and they see people talk about like, okay, I run this trigger. And again, context being as important as it is and, and, and everything, they don't realize that that individual has put in the time to where they can successfully run a mil spec trigger to that point to where it makes sense to take that step up. But like Geisley trigger, that's like a 250 or $300 investment into your rifle. If you can't outrun the mil spec one, why do you need the guys? That's not going to fix anything. It's just going to make a hole in your yeah. wall. Yeah. Um, and trigger is one of those things like, you know, a lot of people hit me up, of course, about like, should I get this trigger, that optic, you know, this barrel. And at least when it comes to triggers, uh, a shorter, a, a trigger with shorter travel. So shorter travel to the wall where it breaks. Mm -hmm. And then especially very short reset are really, really nice. And they will lend themselves to greater accuracy because the less movement that you have to put into the trigger means you are less likely to put movement into the gun while you're pulling the trigger, which is what screws up your shot placement a lot of times, especially on a pistol. Right. Um, so it's like pistols that have like really long, heavy triggers are typically harder to master. Like the Beretta, the M nine, like that double action pull on that Beretta yeah. was like, pretty beastly um the two, two, like we ran yeah Worst we ran I've never used yeah we ran 1911s in force and so like training on the 1911 all the time but you couldn't use that for your annual pistol qualification because it wasn't a marine corps standard pistol so what? go to shoot the marine corps pistol qual i had to use an m9 and so oh, that sucks like, that, that sucks. first the first few drills it's like getting used to that but with that one, after that first round of double action, it's single action. And the single action on the Breda isn't that terrible. It's like still not my favorite pistol, um, but it's not the worst. Um, mm -hmm. I've been shooting uh, the SIG P229 and the one specific for the, the people I, I contract with. It's awful. I mean, it's just awful. It's double action only, super Ooh. long pull, super long reset, heavy trigger. Like it is awful with a capital awful, um, but it's what they've got. Right. So I've yeah. got to make them good with it and I've got to be as good as I can with it, but I definitely do not shoot very fast with that thing. No, um, I, I, to, I, to their standards, I shoot fast, but not to, not to my own. I don't, I don't understand why anybody runs. I mean, obviously financial constraints being what they are and I get that, but, uh, I have a, a real good friend of mine. We sit up in each other's weddings and everything. He's a state trooper here in Michigan. And he bought his service pistol when they switched over to Glocks. So he kept his 40 caliber SIG. I don't know if it's still a 226, but it's in 40. I, I never, after shooting it, I never gave a shit enough to, to, to delve into it. That was the worst trigger I have ever experienced. I, I hated that thing. I, I was like, I put four, four rounds downrange. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to yeah, do this. Un 
unfortunately there are a lot of people out there and it seems to be primarily a law enforcement thing. Um, but it's, it's kind of bled into the, the military a little bit who think that a heavier trigger is safer because if it takes you more effort to pull the trigger, then you are less likely to have a negligent discharge uh, and right. you, you are less likely to use force on someone where that level of force is not appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is once you've made the decision to pull the trigger, like the trigger weight is not going to stop you. It's actually just going to make you worse. Like mm -hmm. heavy triggers will force people, especially that don't have a lot of training are going to force them to move the gun as they pull the trigger, which means their sights are going to be off target and they're going to miss. And that's one of the reasons like when you, you know, hear about, read about, um, officer involved shootings, you know, there'll be all these rounds fired from all these multiple officers. And then in comparison, the number of hits to the suspect is usually yeah. fairly low. You know, and that's, and you always wonder like, where are all those other rounds going? Well, and that's, you know? I, I always uh, call back to that. Was it, uh, I think it was pre COVID. So probably four years ago now, maybe I think I want to say it was Florida or Miami that like hijacked FedEx van or something that got surrounded by police on the interstate and they just unloaded. And I mean, like a couple hundred rounds into this van and the guy got shot like three times. And it's like, are we looking at the right issue? Are we asking the right questions? Um, or if, even if it's, you know, not that, you know, uh, a one-on-one -on -one shooting scenario, like you said, are you, once they've made the decision to shoot, you know, then maybe it's, we need to address what, what they're, the information they're processing prior to making that decision is and their decision-making process it in general uh, that, that leads to that rather than, yeah. Well, you know, if it's hard yeah. for them to pull the trigger, then they're just not going to shoot. Yeah. And, that, and the, that's a problem for, for a lot of these police officers is their commands are, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird, they're, they're risk adverse and somehow to them that translates into training officers less. Whereas if you train your officers more, and they were mm -hmm. more proficient. They were more confident in their skill sets. Cause like if you walk into a room and you know, you can kick everyone's ass in that room, you're just going to go about your business. Right. Like you, you know, you're, you're not going to be a problem, but when you are terrified from the get go and something happens, that's when you have these very quick, reactions to the gun because they're like i am out of shape i'm untrained i'm fat i don't know how to throw hands i don't know how to handle myself i can't i can't verbally de-escalate so i'm going to my gun and hoping this solves the problem you know and there was that one officer that uh pulled her gun instead of her taser yep you know and that's yep. and, and that's, that's happened other times before like <laughs> officers have have pulled their gun said taser and fired a live round you know, it's, it's that they're not trained and their commands think somehow that it's easier to pay lawsuits than it is to just 
train their officers. And right. And that's in their personnel. Yeah. I, I don't understand it, but I have no actual law enforcement background. You know, it's one of the things that I've been learning since being out here in North Carolina and I've been taking classes alongside law enforcement and now working with Orion and, you know, all the, well, pretty much all those other guys uh, on Orion Cadre are current or former law enforcement. So I kind of, you know, pick their brains and defer to them, but that's the general consensus is, you know, commands are weak. They, they don't want to train their people. And then you have a, a good amount of people that, they join up for the badge and, you know, they kind of end it right there. And when you villainize a profession, mm-hmm. then you get villains in the profession. You know, that's why you've yeah. got bad cops. That's why we have shitty politicians. Like how long have we villainized politicians and said, you know, oh, they're all snakes and they're all bad. Well, guess as what? long as I can remember. Yeah. yeah. If you keep villainizing a profession, then good people don't want to be associated with it good people don't go out for politics because they don't want to be associated with all the negative stigmas. And they're like, I'll be the only good person. I can't fix things if I'm yeah. the only good person. That's and so they point. stay away. And it's yeah. other people who are looking for the other things and not the right things that end up going into politics and, and, and everything in every profession. If you villainize it, you get villains, you know, you don't yep. get good people. So there's a whole, that's a whole thing to unpackage. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, it, it yeah. is. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it, again, I don't like use, I don't want to say, oh, it's funny, but it is kind of funny that, you know, we, we've ended up in the situation we have in this country with how we view law enforcement and, and what you just said, right. We, it's, it started out as well, allegedly right <clears throat> uh, to fix policing and that's everything that's wrong, which just drives in worse people. And now you, you can't get good people to, to, to join or even just to stay, you know, I think there's probably, there, I know there's statistics out there on it. What we've seen with turnover rates at uh, big city, uh, you know, police departments and stuff and the lack of funding and, and more specifically the lack of uh, training, you know, you're, you're being asked to handle uh, an ever growing list of situations, tasks, scenarios, but we're not really going to, we're not really going to teach you how to do it. We're just going to, give you the badge and the gun and uh, you know, slap you on the ass on the way out the door and good luck and come back with the same yeah. number of holes you had when you left. And then it's difficult. Cause you know, you recruiting efforts hurt. So if your department is, you know, understaffed, then you can't rotate people to train them. Even if you have the money to do it, you know, um, yeah. cause we see that like, you don't see as much. And that's one of the nice things about, being in the military is like, it's your job to train and, or do your job every day. Like, and everything is training. And even with the exception of like the few units that are, are, you know, like non-deployable in general, everything you do every day is like training to deploy. You know, even if you're administration and you're actually dealing with all, all of our actual problems we bring with our pay and everything else, like you're still mm-hmm. doing training and you are still preparing to deploy. And that's when like you work, like that's when you are supposed to truly go to work and everything up to that is just training, 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 training. Um, but even within that, you see it um, like uh, my wife was uh, also a Marine. She retired with me and she was a shop of one. 
she was one person in her shop and she was the only person in her unit that could do her job. So if she went to lunch, there was no one there to, to do her job. And a lot of her job, she had to be there for, you know, other Marines and it's rough. And so she would often bring her lunch and she would sit there in her office and she would like fork a couple of things into her mouth and chew real fast. And then yep, because, just yeah, because all the other Marines, like when they're on their lunchtime, that's when they're free to come and, and talk to her and, and handle the things they need to handle. And then before and after, you know, those, that chow time, she was dealing with everything else. And there were days she wouldn't even eat. She would come home with her lunch still. And I'd be like, babe, you've got to eat. Yeah. You've got to do it. And she wouldn't. And, and so you see it everywhere. And when you don't build in redundancy, you're going to have, you know, some kind of a lack. And my wife was really good at her job. You know, it definitely hurt her to not eat and not be able to go out and exercise and, and do the things that other things that she needed to do for herself and to just be a better Marine in general. Um, but, you know, as long as Marines got reenlisted on time, like, no one cares, you know, how healthy she is uh, until right. something bad happens. Right. And then when something, if something bad were to happen to her, that's when the unit would be like, Oh, what's going on. And then usually, you know, they just try to blame the individual. They don't look at themselves and their processes like, Oh, like maybe we should have some policies in place that allows this Marine in a shop of one to like get lunch and, mm -hmm. you know, afford her the time to do this and that and understand and it's same thing with law enforcement and all that so yeah well, it, that's why i think it, i think it's important what you guys are doing with orion and you know uh highlighting you know in the in that instance right it's a lunch hour but you know for a lot of police officers maybe it's a weekend right and you guys offer courses that are specifically built around weekends when there is if not i mean i know it's not guaranteed time off because uh I just sound cliche. I mean, like, I know crime never sleeps, right? So people got to work through the weekends, but it's easier to get, you know, some weekend time. And then it does afford, uh, you know, the opportunity to take a class uh, to learn how to perform, you know, CQB tactics, right? How to clear a building safely, you know, uh, and, and things that, unfortunately uh, I think the media does a really good job of, or has done a good job of dressing up and, you know, Oh, well, police don't need to learn military tactics. They're, they're not the military. They don't need to understand these things, but again, they don't look at the context of it and realize that a, the, the gentleman teaching the course may not be military. They may just be law enforcement with a lot of good background, which obviously, you know, Jason and Jared, have that they may be military like yourself where obviously there's been more than enough experience in uh urban and close quarters uh combat during the was it 20 years we were in in afghanistan you know uh lessons learned there um are certainly applicable like yeah yes that's a shittier place but a building's a building a hallway is a hallway and hearing just some of the stories from friends I have in law enforcement about the lack of training or how dangerous it is uh, the way some of these people just clear a structure, 
not real, not even realizing, you know, they're taking their life into their own hands because of how they, how nonchalant they are about approaching walking down a hallway, uh, or, you know, uh, Oh yeah. You don't need to clear a corner. I just, I look through the doorway. doesn't look like there's anybody in there. I'm just going to keep going. They don't know what they don't know. And you know, the people that make the decisions around training like that, uh, I feel like are just, uh, much like a lot of our politicians, they're just aging and they're, they're holding on for that last little bit until they max out that pension and then pass it on to the next guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I did a, I did a SWAT course a couple years back and every, every morning coming in and, you know, I would, I had just taken leave, you know, I was just there to have fun and network and uh, maybe learn a couple new things. And every morning I come in and all these guys are talking about, they were on callouts because they were on their teams. They just needed that course to be qualified to be like on the entry team. So they were always on like, you know, outside security. And they were coming up to about how like how they'd been on a call out the night before. And I was like, are you guys working still? Like while you're in this class? They're like, oh yeah. yeah. They're like, oh yeah. It was it was like the third night or fourth night. I was driving back to my hotel. One of them was behind me. And all of a sudden his lights go on. I was like, dude, you were not pulling me over. <laughs> like I was doing two miles over the speed limit. Like you were not pulling me over. Like this has to be a prank. So I got out of the way and he shot past me. And then two oh, wow. miles down the, two miles down the road, I up to him. He had gotten a call and he had gone to uh, reinforce another guy that was in the middle of a traffic stop. But he was supposed to be on his he way just, home. You know? Yeah. And things but are just stretched like, so thin. That's, that's what he had to do. Yeah, but uh, and you know, with the Orion thing, like, and you know, the the militarization of police, um, just because they wear body armor, like they've been wearing body armor, you know, and we already talked mm-hmm. about like you're gonna send these entry teams into a gunfight, they should have body armor. Most cops in general wear body armor, um, and helmets, and the fact that they have rifles, like, yeah. I don't see it as a problem. Some people do, you know, it's not that we're teaching them. We're not arming them with machine guns and teaching them suppressive fire and, you know, giving them aircraft that will drop bombs on people and stuff like that. And how to do that. Like that's not because they have an armored car and, you know, AR pattern rifles. Yeah. I, I don't see this militarization. I see that simply as, evolving well and it's it, it's at least it's all safety equipment it's going to keep them safer while not doing any harm you know outwardly and that was something that we got a lot of heat here in the metro detroit area for um <clears throat> was uh i don't remember which department or sheriff's agency whatever it was um they were i don't want to say gifted but basically given right like an armored vehicle that was military surplus and that was you know, being, um, there's no longer being used. I forget the term. Um, and, and it was a huge deal here. Oh, it's a military vehicle. It's a, you know, some people came on, Oh, it's a tank. It's like, it's not a tank. It has wheels for one. That is not a tank. Do you see mm-hmm. a gun anywhere on that? Not a tank. Like let's not, you know, let's not dramatize this too much and look at it for what it really is. And I think that that comes back to the same conversation people have about, Oh, well, civilians shouldn't have armor. It's like, well, that should be the bottom of the list of things you'd ever want to take away from somebody. It's protective gear, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's like, okay, so, you know, 
somebody shouldn't have body armor, but you need 30 pairs of shoes. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And then, and then it's people like, well, I'm not hurting anyone. Neither's the body armor. Like unless exactly. I hit you, unless I hit you with it, you know, and it'll probably do a lot less damage than your stiletto heel. Well, and people don't want to recall back to, you know, well, if we get rid of the guns then there's no need for body armor and it's always, it, it's always weird to me how easily people forget, you know, the, the nineties, you know, the, the Clinton era assault weapons ban and people thought that, oh yeah, that fixed all the issues. Well, well, one, it didn't, you know, we have the data now to look at it. It didn't fix anything, but we also had some really, some really fucked up shit that went on during that time period that people just want to forget, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Columbine for one, obviously, uh, the North Hollywood shootout guys in body armor and Chinese made AKs with drum magazines and all, you know, all kinds of illegal shit. And those guys were arrested. They only did a year in prison, like a year and a half before they pulled that gig, uh, or the DC sniper when people were literally walking up and down the streets in flak jackets, uh, because they were just scared of of getting shot. And that was all during an assault weapons ban with what is deemed to be, you know, uh, appropriate weapons, you know, a bolt action rifle, just somebody, you know, cut a second gas, you know, uh, flap out of the side of a van or whatever, and decided they were going to be an asshole. Yeah. You know, I think having gear like that is, is completely paramount. Um, and having, quality gear you know the I, I wish we could legislate like make it illegal right to sell steel armor i think that the number of people they carry crappy steel plates and think that that's that's going to save them or that they're going to be able to wear that for more than like two hours at a time without just you know dropping it and just saying fuck it i'll take my chances without it you know and yeah i'm obviously joking i don't want to legislate against any of it but just people don't realize like there's a reason it's so goddamn cheap. It's not going to do what you think. Yeah. yeah. And then the, all the, the anti spall coating that they have to put on it makes those things super thick, which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons that like AR 500 sells their own plate carriers. Because if you get a steel plate, that's like an inch and a half thick with all the anti spall coating, it's probably not going to fit in the plate bags of other companies. Nope. You know, and no, most of those go to like 1.1, I think is, is usually as large as most will, will accept that I've seen anyways, that are worth having, you know, I've definitely owned some shitty yeah. carriers, uh, unfortunately, uh, trying to save money and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's not, and in the weight alone, like you're adding on another 24 pounds, you know, if each plate's 12 pounds, that's, and that's before you add on ammo uh a backpack uh i mean whatever yeah you know and it's like they got the uh you know the shelf life and they're not as fragile so like if you drop them you know not a big deal but it's like you know okay but then your other plates you know have about seven to eight year shelf life maybe upwards of 10 Mm -hmm. so knowing that understanding that ultimately it's a consumable item you know so after about five years, maybe I start saving up again. So that right. way, when I hit 10 years with a set of plates, like I can buy new ones. And then you don't throw away your old plates. You keep those. And like, those are the ones that you take to the range, you take the classes and you Train go around in them and you do all your training in those. And then like, like for me here in North Carolina, you know, if another hurricane Florence or a hurricane Dorian or something like that rolls in, right? Then I'm going to put my 
nice plates inside the carrier and I'll set that over here and everything will be ready to go. So the looters decide to come into the neighborhood. I've got, you know, my good stuff at the ready. ready. To go. Yeah. You know? Now, have you guys seen I know, in classes and things like that? And has there been an, a, a, like a noticeable change in how people are equipping themselves and, uh, or, or just maybe even the existing knowledge level with some of the people that come into these classes as we've kind of seen uh, some changes in the culture of the world yeah, in the last couple years? I would say so. Um, so a lot of the classes that Orion has taught so far are down like Louisiana and Texas area. Um, so that has not involved me directly, but from what I can see from the photos and the stuff that, you know, is shared on social media and the stuff that we share in our, uh, our group chat, people are definitely, um, outfitting themselves better. They're understanding it's better to, um, uh, buy once, cry once with their equipment. Right. Um, and I think some of that comes from some of the changes on social media where, you know, people are putting out more of like, there is more than one option for, you know, what decent equipment looks like and this, but here's who the reputable makers are. And we know what decent equipment looks like and who makes it. And now it's more about like, you know, what's the, what's the hotness camel pattern at the moment and you know, who, who makes it. Um, but some of that shit blows my mind too. Like yeah. the, was it the, um, the like paint splatter that people yeah. or whatever that pattern people will get like, like full fucking loadouts and that shit. They'll get, uh, you know, uh, they'll pay the extra money to have the placard and the play carrier and all the extra shit. And I'm like, listen, I mean, if you like it, you like it, yeah. but like, who the fuck are you hiding from in that? <laughs> no one, no yeah. one. And, and you know what? It's like, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I like multi-cam black and cryptic typhoon. I think black camouflage patterns are just cool. I know <laughs> they don't have any real concealment value, but that's not what my range belt is for. It's my range belt and my competition belt. So I don't need to hide from people. You know, it's I just, used to get I like the way it looks. I used to get that comment because I used to have a, I may still own it, but I used to, to run a multi-cam black Pharaoh Slickster. And people all the time in the comments and stuff, like, you know, that that camouflage is bullshit, right? You know, you're not going to hide any, you know, that's not going to help you for anything, right? Like, yeah. so <laughs> interestingly enough, like I did um, a while back, I did a bunch of comparisons. I took like a bunch of my different camouflage clothing out in the woods mm -hmm. and I, I photographed it uh, through my night vision. And at night, like it actually does a decent, job it, it like through night vision at least like just the way the pattern comes out under nods it actually blended okay with the background um because it has a pattern you know but again it if i were to choose like that would not be my first choice to go on an operation what would um, be let me ask you that just because i know a lot of people want to consider stuff like that and then, uh it, it's same thing like i i told them um you have to look at your area Right. Mm -hmm. And then kind of play around and look at like what the patterns are. And that's one of the reasons I, I wanted to put out those posts and compare all those. Um, and some other people do it. There's some other pages that are a little more obscure though, that compare camouflage patterns. Um, the easiest one is multicam. Yeah. It's, it's the easiest one you can, you can find it because whatever the army chooses, 
you're going to be able to find stuff in whatever that pattern is, right? When they went to the, uh, the OCP, the, or the ACU camouflage pattern, uh, um, yeah. the army camp, like you could find stuff in that pattern, everything, you know, aprons, teddy bears, magazine pouches, plate carriers. And now it's, it's the same with multicam or, you know, OC, whatever it is, you can find that pattern on everything. So that makes it readily available which is nice. So you can find all the equipment that you need, your fighting load, your clothing, you know, your packs, assault, load, like everything you can find in that pattern. Um, and it is a really decent pattern. It does well enough across a wide array of environments, um, which is how it was designed. And that's mm -hmm. why, you know, the army adopted it because they have one uniform, Right. And that's the downside to the Marine Corps solution is we have two uniforms. We've got the woodland and we've got the desert. Um, deserts do well, obviously, in arid environments. They do well in urban environments and they can do OK um, uh, in like fall time frame where everything's kind of brown and dead yeah. and, just like and stuff tone. like that. Yeah. Like arid patterns actually do OK in that environment when things start getting really green then your arid patterns don't work so well and you go to your green patterns so that's why we have our our green digital marpat um yeah i mean the the digital patterns you know aor1 aor2 the navy's digital patterns uh cadpat marpat multicam um and flectarn's a pretty good pattern too uh, the German flectarn. Yeah, I've heard that one thrown around quite a bit. And you know, I don't know. I think I think some guys uh, they stress out about that kind of thing a little bit. And um, I've certainly seen a couple of videos and rants where guys are like, "Oh, well, if you're you know wearing flectarn and a common citizenry don't know what that is, they're going to assume you're a bad guy." You know, and you're running around with an AK. I'm like, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, could, but yeah, it, it could be a thing, and that would be. I mean, really, that's more is like if you're a guy that's into Kalashnikovs, that would be all more the reason that like, you know, if you had a Kalashnikov that you were going to grab and come patrol the neighborhood with me, uh, you know, during a hurricane to keep the mm -hmm. looters out, you would probably want to grab one that's all like tactical out with rails and stuff, because if it has the wood foreign and the wood stock and the orange magazine that's what the bad guys always use in the movies, right? right. Like ever right. since we were all kids, you know, the eighties and the nineties, bad guys use Kalashnikov. So if you're walking around with a Kalashnikov, you look like a bad guy, right? But if you're walk walking around with, you know, a scary black rifle, then you're just a crazy two, a person, right? Much you know? better. Yeah. Yeah. Much better. <laughs> At least in this neighborhood, right? <laughs> this neighborhood, right. People are like, Oh yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, easily dismissed. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it's something to consider. Uh, and a lot of people don't understand too about uh, camouflage patterns is a lot of them are designed to fade. Like they are designed to fade and that's when they actually become effective. So like M81 Woodland, you know, God's plaid, mm -hmm. uh, yep. which is, yeah. it's hilarious, dude. Because like I was issued that. I came in the Marine Corps and I was issued M81 Woodland. We just called it Woodland and everything was in that pattern. And then we started fighting wars and deserts and like, you could not give away 
stuff in woodland. Like you Seriously. couldn't give it away. People would be like, no, I don't want that. Yeah. You know, everyone's stuff that was in tan. If you could find stuff that was in a, a desert camouflage pattern, like DCU or chocolate chip, like that was gold. That was the one I was going to ramp was the chocolate chips. Everyone, yeah, it, it's it like, was like a nineties thing. You could not give away friggin' Emily one woodland. And I wish I, it's like one of those things, like I wish I had known because otherwise I would have kept all that stuff and I would have made thousands on eBay selling it. Like, oh, dude, the, but it's second, it, the secondhand market for some of that shit is yeah, unbelievable. I, I don't but, understand. I mean, I do to some extent, but yeah. But like that pattern, they, they realized with other patterns before it, they're like, well, you know, it's really good when it's new, but then it fades because everything fades when you wash it and it's in the sun and especially oh, yeah. the Marine, Marine Corps, like we're in the ocean. So that salt water and sun and, all, and it fades. So they designed M81 and like all patterns, like across the world, a lot of um, modern countries, they, they followed suit. And so their patterns... That's why new military uniforms look like so vibrant and they pop because they're actually not at their peak. They need to be worn and used Eat and up, faded yeah. in the sun and everything. And then just like, so when you have like a light color M81, it does really, really well uh, when you put it out there in the environment. And it's funny because in the Marine Corps, like some people will look at you like your uniform's too faded. It's, it's unserviceable. You can't wear that. You got to go get a new uniform. It's like, well, actually, it's at actually, its peak right now, you know, except for the, the holes and the tears in it. But, you know, it's like camouflage wise, it's at its peak. Right. Um, and it, so it's it's not commonly understood, you know, even throughout well, the, the military. And, and that's why you see, I mean, a lot of it's driven by just popularity. I mean, that's why for a while there, you saw everybody had to have everything in wolf gray because, that's going to make the most sense in an urban environment. You got to have it. And it's like, not really. No, that's not really going to work. Cause I don't know anybody that lives in an all gray home or works in an all gray building or I mean, hardly anything. It just, it's just another colorway. Yeah. Yeah. Gray is, I mean, gray is an interesting color. Um, and I actually did. I like, I grabbed all my gray stuff too. When I was doing those, those camo comparisons, Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's one of those colors, like, it does okay. You know, like, Coyote Brown does okay. Olive Drab and Ranger Green, like, they do okay. Um, you know, I, I love but, my Ranger Green. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Everybody does. And it's, it's one of those things, like, um, it's a solid. It yeah. doesn't have a pattern to it. And so if you don't have a pattern, there's nothing that's breaking up your outline and nothing to help you blend with your background because behind you is, is all patterns, all the leaves, yeah. all the sticks, all the branches, all the deadfall, the patches of sky through it all. That's patterns and they're very random patterns and that's what you need. And that's why digital camouflage and stuff like that is really effective because it's basically a random pattern. As far as the human observer is concerned, it's a mm -hmm. random pattern. So when you wear a solid, that, disturbs the baseline that's not a pattern anymore it breaks it up and yeah. draws attention but like but you know if it's in the right kind of a color you know so like out behind my house where i did all that filming the stuff that was like ranger green and olive drab stuck out because there was lots of deadfall in the background and the trees so it stuck out but then the 
browns and the tans and the grays did better you know but now if i were to go back there because that was that was like winter time so now everything's in full bloom now the green stuff would look really good Mm -hmm. and a lot of people are also finding that you can mix it up and so maybe you wear like a greener top and a more arid trousers um and even the marine corps like Usually it only happens when they we send guys up to the Mount Warfare Training Center, but they'll wear like their over white bottoms, uh, and then they'll just have their green Gore-Tex jacket because they're walking through the trees and there's snow on the ground. So their bottoms are more camouflaged with the snow and their tops are more camouflaged with the background of the trees. Um, yeah. but you can't apply it's funny, you're not allowed to apply that same logic if you're on like Lejeune. Like it can be 40 degrees out, but no, you're not allowed to wear the same warming layers and, and things like that. It's, it's funny how we do stuff sometimes. So if, so looking at, like I said earlier, you know, a lot of people were, and just because of population densities and a lot of folks are in suburban areas, what kinds of, I mean, could you make a recommendation around what would make sense for folks? Like, I mean, not even from a, a camo, uh, I guess mostly from a, like a camo perspective, but I think just an overall appearance perspective. I think a lot of people get sucked into the, I'm going to wear skinny jeans and a flannel and I'm going to wear my Ranger green and I'm going to be, that's how everyone knows I'm a good guy. Well, I mean, as far as skinny jeans and a flannel, I will not wear skinny jeans. Um, Although draw the line. Yeah. Well, I also have a, I have a joke with my wife that all jeans are skinny jeans on me. Thanks to every day being leg day. Um, (laughs) But Uh, real problem to have i have a brother that has that issue yeah uh like if if that matches the baseline like if a lot of people are wearing jeans and flannels then you you'll actually blend in until you throw a ranger green plate carrier over the top of it then (sighs) you'll stop blending in right and then it won't matter what you wear um but and i actually i use flannels in that camouflage chest too i I pull my flannels out like because it's a pattern Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so flannels could be like a really good choice and some kind of pants, um, you know, whatever best fits your baseline in Eastern Europe. When I was over there, like everybody wore dark clothing in the wintertime, like everyone would roll around like blacks and grays and, and blue jeans. Like no one wore vibrant colors. Um, so that would work over there sure. you know, over here. It might not work have like black jeans and a black flannel in some places and some places it will right so just like what is your normal environment like how do people what is like the normal conservative dress because obviously you got people on like each end of the spectrum who are like super colorful right and it's just like it's ridiculous and they're almost an eyesore and then you've got people who you know are just like monotone and like black and gray like they're auditioning for batman so you have to find what's like that normal middle ground that the most people are wearing like color wise and then kind of look at like garment wise, like what fits and what makes sense. Um, obviously sure. pants, pants are typically better to fight in than shorts. Um, but you know, you just, you wear, it makes sense. And that's where you got to look at too. Like it might be a better idea to buy a slick plate carrier that you can put under, you know, a bigger flannel shirt mm-hmm. and you've just got a concealed 
a concealed pistol and you've got your backpack that has, you know, a small chest rig and your carbine with a folding stock in it. And that's how you get around the city. And that's how you move from point to point without attracting attention. And then when it's time to, you know, kid up and fight the uh, invaders, then, you know, you, you do that or whatever, yeah. whatever scenario it is <clears throat> you need to, to do. Um, but yeah, cities are very colorful. So there's really no camo pattern that's really going to like allow you to camouflage in. Um, Marpat Desert uh, in some testing was the best in urban environment. But okay. I think that was like military urban training facilities, uh, mm -hmm. which do happen to be mostly gray. Um, they're just like cinder yeah. blocks and stuff like that. Uh, but then you have the background of like the streets and walls and some other stuff. Um, so arid patterns can do well. Your grays can do well. Like neutral colors can do well in the urban mm -hmm. environment. Um, and that's, yeah, I would say just kind of dress normal, dress in more neutral tones and, you know, what kind of best fits again, you know, I don't know where everyone lives. So they got to kind of look at their own environment and figure that yeah. out. Um, just trying to blend in as best as it. I mean, I hate throwing around the term gray man theory, but it, it does, it is kind of applicable, you know, in that scenario. Yeah, yeah it is, you know, and it, in general, it's, it's, it's a good kind of philosophy to go by. Um, to just kind of be the the wallflower in a sense as you just move right. your daily life and then you come off the wall when needed. Um, and it'd be the same thing in some kind of scenario where like you need to be now, you know, kidding up and utilizing your stuff. Or it could come down to it, like if you are an organized resistance, then you would all want to be uniform, not necessarily in a uniform we're all going to wear multicam we're all going to wear ranger green but like you know if we're all going to wear black jeans and flannels and you know throw something like you in uh, ukraine they're all throwing uh, like yellow armbands on oh yeah i've seen the pictures like of that, that. yeah um because the camouflage patterns are so similar and basically everybody in the world wears something that looks like multicam or multicam um mm -hmm. So they need another means of identifying friend or foe. Uh, and so they have those, those armbands. So, you know, something like that, you know, can also be done within your group. Uh, but that's, that's also an interesting dynamic to really dive into. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I know we're, we're kind of coming up time-wise. So I just have like one thing I did want to ask about, because you know, a lot of people, <clears throat> they kind of want that silver bullet, you know, they want to know the one thing that's going to make them better. I was just going to, it's what is one piece of kit that someone could pick up that's going to make them better? And why is it a dump pouch? Because it's absolutely not a dump <laughs> pouch. I, I was told I, I very specifically have to ask about the dump pouches and why everyone needs to have as many as possible. Yeah. No, I catch that all the time now. <laughs> all the time now. Um, and I think some people like they come to class. And they have a dump pouch and they're like waiting for me to, to chastise them. I don't say shit about it uh, until, until they, you know, they go to put something in the dump pouch and they drop it on the ground instead. I'm like, Oh, good thing you had that. 
That's honestly the only time I, because I don't run a dumb pouch. I, I, I honestly don't. The only time I've ever wanted one was when I was running like a rifle class and I just, you know, I'd, I'd run one mag on my belt. <clears throat> and then if I wanted to have another one, so I have to go grab it, you know, at the back of the range or whatever, it would, I, you know, I'd throw it in my, you know, the ass pocket of my jeans or whatever. And so it's nice to have, you know, a spot to dump the empty ones. You're not just flapping around on your ass, but I, I was told I have to uh, yeah. very specifically ask you about the dump pouches yeah yeah no i've become it's it's i really didn't think it would be like a big thing you know i was like <laughs> i made that initial post and i was like look they're they're nearly useless like you really don't need one you probably think you need one you really don't and i highly underestimated how emotionally attached people are to their dump pouches like yeah like people were, we'll say fervently disagreeing with me and continue to, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, it's insane, but some of it's just downright ridiculous. Like I, like I, when I made that post, I went into work the next day. And of course, a bunch of the guys who I worked with followed my page mm-hmm. and he was like, Hey man, like, you know, you know, I go on patrol and I grab because like we had these like liter and a half bottles of water we could grab. He's like, I grabbed two of those bottles and I put in my dump pouch. So I had water on patrol. I'm like, so you'd go out on patrol with three liters of water smacking you in your left ass cheek for hours at a time when you are yeah. issued, issued a three liter water container that goes on the back of your plate carrier and has a hose that comes around. You don't even have to open up a bottle, you know, and then I I got everything else. And he's like, yeah, shit. (laughs) A lot of people really think they need it until, because I used to use one. Mm -hmm. I had one, I had one forever. Like I, I came up, I said, I, I thought it was a great idea and I tried to do it when we were pushing to Baghdad and people are like, no, that's kind of stupid. I was like, okay. And all of a sudden it, it showed up on the market. I'm like, see, I knew it was a good idea. It's being marketed now. And I yeah. got one. And I ran dump pouches for like 12 years. And in those 12 years, the only thing I ever used it for was on a range, I would pick up my empty magazines and put them in my dump pouch to yep. walk back to the ammo table and load again. That's administrative. That's not a reason to have a piece of gear on on you and that's that's what i was told too like my buddy was like you can run one if you want but i'll be honest with you the most we ever did was on the range like you just said or if you had it open guys would like drop bricks in there and shit to fuck with you yeah like Like, there was one there was one time on the deployment and it was mostly because we were uh we were in flight suits because they hadn't come out with the uh marine corps uh frog combat top and bottom so we had flight suits instead of our our camis so I didn't have cargo pockets and somebody handed me a stinger ball grenade, which is like about the size of a softball almost. And okay. it's a, it's a, it's a less lethal. It's a riot control thing. So it pops open. It shoots a bunch of like double out buck size rubber BBs in every direction. Ouch. Yeah. And I don't know where we found it, but somebody was like, well, Blake will probably want to carry this. And I was like, <laughs> hell yeah. I was like, I can't wait to use this. And it, it went in my dump pouch because I had nowhere else to put it. And it was too big to put into a frag pouch. And 
everywhere I everywhere I go, I was constantly reaching behind me and holding my dump pouch to make sure it wouldn't fall out whenever I ran. Mm-hmm. Whenever I sat down, I'd have to like reach and reposition it so it wasn't like under my butt or like pushing in the small of my back. I was so happy to finally get rid of that thing. Um, and it was a little underwhelming, but <laughs> you know, that's the only time I, I ever use it. And that was maybe a week that I carried that stupid thing around. And it's the only time I ever used a dump pouch. Yeah. And, you know, looking back, like if I hadn't had the dump pouch, well, I could have just hooked a stupid thing through my belt and used a couple of rubber bands to keep it there, which still would have been shitty, but you know, it was I something. worked a little bit better. I mean, <clears throat> yeah. the only other- the only I mean, it would have worked. I, I don't know if better, but it would definitely would have worked. I, the only other reason I, I've even heard of people running them, honestly, is if you're in a unit that does SSE, which I think, again, kind of falls under more like the special operations <sighs> realm where you're yeah, doing. Yeah, and that's that's another one. Like people done that. The thing about like site exploitation is, well, one, people say SSE. And so there's sensitive site exploitation and tactical site exploitation. They're two different things. Very similar, but different. Um, so a lot of people don't realize they don't do SSE, they're doing TSE. Um, but regardless, when, when you're collecting that stuff, like if you're just walking around and you're just shoving stuff in your dump pouch and then you exfil off target and it's like, well, where'd you find it? Well, I found it on the target. Yeah. But where in the target, Yeah, who'd you take it from? Uh, the guy with brown skin, like which one? (laughs) Like, be you have to doc- like this stuff has to be documented there may be times where it's like very hasty and quick and so maybe you grab somebody again you've got cargo pockets you likely have some kind of an assault pack and there are other systems for carrying these materials and with the documentation that goes into it like people cite that one as well and like and now you're collecting this stuff for evidence and you're putting it in a pouch that you can't readily secure on your back so mm-hmm. as you're making your way to extract or, you know, whatever, like you could lose stuff that you collected right. for evidence. Um, the one, and I mean, there's definitely like people who may have a legitimate tactical need, like sure. some of the guys in Orion, they're like, Hey, when we do call outs and we come upon a suspect in the house and we disarm them, you know, we clear the pistol and we drop the pistol in our dump pouch and we keep going. And I'm like, okay. Like, that's not how I've done it, but that doesn't mean that, you know, my way is the best way, but okay. Right. It's like you, right. you, uh, you have a, a legitimate tactical need because you want to retain control of that farm, which is a reasonable thing. Oh yeah, do, absolutely. You know, I mean, um, canine, canine guys have hit me up because like the stuff that they have for their canines is very awkward and it's large and no one really makes a good pouch for that stuff. So they use a dump pouch. I'm like, okay, yeah. So you have an actual legitimate tactical need like for that pouch because no one makes a good pouch for your awkward, you know, your, your leads and your muzzles and, you know, reward toys and things like that you have to carry for your dog. And it makes sense. Right. And that's, that's the biggest thing with it. And I did a frigging 40 minute video on YouTube about it. It's like, if you have a legitimate tactical need, then, you know, run one, but, I went through all the reasons that like people give me for it. And I'm like, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I debunked a lot of it. Most like, of you're, those, yeah. you're just emotionally attached and you really want this thing for some reason. And you're trying to justify it. 
You know, I don't need to justify a magazine pouch. I don't need to justify a pouch that carries water or grenades. So if you have to justify your dumb pouch, you probably don't need it. I think a lot of guys just want to take up the blank space on their belt. I think they just feel like they got to have a full belt or they're doing something wrong. That's why they run three pistol mags and two rifle mags and a dump pouch and a, you know, blowout kit and a knife and uh, a handcuff, whatever. And then they're your holster. And it's like, if you're going to use all that cool, but that sounds like an awful lot of lower back pain to me. I don't really want to deal with that. Yeah. I'm good with I mean, my work pain. belt was pretty full. <clears throat> um, you know, cause I carried, I carried a lot, but at the same time I carry a lot on my work belt because I had to free up my plate carrier for, uh, carrying items for breaching, you know? So I, I had sense. a need, I had a need to move stuff off my carrying to my belt. And with like, when it comes to, you know, your fighting load with a plate carrier is that's why I generally recommend is like, when you start finding a need to like stack pouches out, that's when you really want to start moving stuff down to the belt, like look to move it down to the belt to prevent yourself from getting like super fat, you know, kit wise yeah. in any direction. Um, Saying that there, that's one that I, I always laugh when I see people comment on the Orion uh, social media or any social medias uh, around breaching. Like, are you guys going to do a class on breaching? Like, uh, no. <laughs> How? No, we can't. You know, I mean. No, I mean, not not explosive. Uh, and for us, it's more than just like, oh, we don't want to teach, you know, people. But like, there's a lot that goes into like explosive because what a lot of people want is explosive breaching because explosives mm-hmm. are fun. They are. Um, yeah, but you know, it's, there's a lot that goes into that. Like, unfortunately, uh, because of the Bureau of party poopers, you know, (laughs) I can't just go out and buy explosives. I can't go out and buy spools of deck cord and shock tube and all that and set up a, a explosive breaching class. Like there's licensing, it costs a lot of money, there's storage considerations. Uh, and then it's like, how does that get viewed? You know, so it is very much a niche thing. And then for us with Orion, like there's already some major companies out there like tease USA that's been doing it for a long time. And we're not trying to like cut into their market. Uh, yeah. We have talked about <laughs> uh, doing a uh, mechanical class. So like how to use a Halligan tool, how to use a sledgehammer, so basic things like that. And it would still be open enrollment because that is something that, you know, anybody could use, like you can have a Halligan and maybe, maybe you've got to get into somebody's house because you see smoke coming out sure. and you're their next door neighbor. Right. And so you it's a general thing. Like it could be something useful, you know, for open enrollment, but it's the same thing like CQB, like maybe it ends up being useful for somebody for a regular everyday Joe civilian to come out and train in CQB. But if anything else, honestly, like the, the training builds community. Oh, definitely. These people, these people come out from all walks of life. A lot of classes are a good mix of law enforcement and civilian. So now you get these people who get to rub elbows with, you know, the big bad police and you get, and now you get, you're meeting the good cops, right? Cause these One cops cares, are spending yeah. their own money and time to come train. So you're meeting good cops. So you get that, that affirmation that there are still good cops. 
and the cops get to meet the civilians like okay like they're not kooks like these are just yeah. cool people from different walks of life who just want to come have some fun and you end up building community you end up networking making contacts like there's a lot more that happens in the class than just learning how to make entry into a room or you know learning how to be a better pistol shooter or anything like that. And that's a big reason why we do the open enrollment with Orion. Um, it's, it's way deeper than just training civilians and tactics. Like it, yeah. it builds in because that's how it worked for us, you know, in the military and law enforcement, like we go and do all this training and obviously the stuff we did was a little bit rougher, right? Cause no one cares about our feelings. Right. But that that suck builds community. And so when, you know, these everyday people come into this class and it's hot and it's sweaty, and, you know, and every now and then I might call you a dumbass, like they actually get off on that. because they're like, yeah, I was a dumbass. Yeah, yeah, yeah I am stupid. <laughs> that was that was pretty dumb. And, you know, and everybody has a laugh and like it it builds a little bit of community and, you know, people make friends and it's it's cool. So um we're definitely gonna we we like that model and we're definitely gonna keep on with it no no absolutely and it's something i think i i hope more people take advantage of uh i'm working on trying to secure a location up here i'd really love to have orion up to teach a class here in michigan for being a huge hunting state we're like a fucking black hole for tactical training there's just not <laughs> there's just not a yeah. whole lot of opportunity but i am well you could go to um uh dust no, I, <laughs> I will not. Um, and I've driven past that place and my friends all send me the videos and stuff like, just so you guys rule in Detroit. I'm like, uh, sir, you will politely go fuck yourself. That's not, <laughs> that yeah. is a terrible representation of this. City. And, that, and that's, and it's unfortunate because he's not the only one out there, you know, um, no, somebody, somebody sent me something. Uh, I think it's a company that's based down in Miami or in that area. And the video was this guy had a training pistol and he had like an easy curl bar across his forearms. And he was like presenting his pistol with a curl bar, you know, across his forearms. And another one, he was holding it like it was a spear and he had, he was single-handedly present presenting and all these weird drills. And I actually made a comment. I was like, I can't tell if this is parody or not. Like I, I, I actually thought it was a joke. And then the owner commented back. I'm like, Oh, Oh, you're serious. Yeah. Like, oh, but they're I, I out there. People in with like the guys that do the weird workouts at Planet Fitness with the pulleys and you can't figure out what they're trying to fucking do. Yeah. And they're out there and it's it's unfortunate because they're like usually fairly small and people go to them because they're the only show in town. You're right. And they're like, oh, I only have to drive 30 minutes. And, you know, they do all this weird stuff. So like you're you're running all around the range and you're like utilizing random objects for cover and they're going to tell you it's some kind of tactical procedure and you don't know you're you're you have no idea joe schmo civilian like you don't know this guy says he's got some kind of a background and then you know you come to like one of my classes and i'm like no we're not gonna do any ridiculous shit i'm actually <laughs> just gonna teach you how to actually use your sights and I'm like holy shit by the end of the day you're actually a little bit better of a shooter and I've, you know, we're going to give you homework, like how to continue because it's a one day class. No, you're not going to be John Wick after one day. Like 
No. They have to work at it. And places like that, it's it's funny because there's actually uh you there was a, a younger guy, I would even venture to possibly even call him a kid. He was very young looking, went into that Detroit dust and uh like disproved like beat him at all the drills and everything and uh and like basically debunked all the shit he was teaching. He's like, Well, no, no, it's because uh, you know, I'm going at, at half speed uh to, to demonstrate I'm trying to teach you. You know, you, you can't go that fast. You know, and it's like, or does it just not fucking work? You know, yeah. like I would, I think I had one or two people like friends that legitimately just asked, like, does this actually work? Like, do you work on this stuff? Like, I absolutely fucking don't. And I would, I would 110 times over recommend that you go to some place. You know, I gave, I rattled off a couple of local, local places and stuff. And I was like, I would go there for like basic pistol courses before I would ever give this guy a cent uh, of, of my money. So no, that's not what, what this community is about. That's, I don't know what that is, but it's not it's not what this is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's hard. It's actually kind of hard to fill, um, firearms classes, uh, just cause people think they, they don't need to learn the fundamentals. They think they already know the fundamentals. So they're like, Oh, I'm not going to go take this fundamentals class. Or, or even that you can do it more than once. Like I'm getting ready to retake a course in yeah. next month. I've already yeah. taken the carbine course at this or carbine two course at this, uh, it's Ann Arbor arms up here in Michigan. And my wife's like, well, yeah, did you take one last time? I was like, no, I took two last time. Oh, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, I have, I have work to do. Like it's, I'm not, I'm not even remotely upset about the fact that I'm repeating the course. Like, yeah. And like, I've had people take, cause I, I have a fundamentals class and a movement class and people come to the, the movement class. And for the first two hours, we go through some fundamentals just so I can see where everyone's weapons handling is at and give them some information that they can use in the rest of the day. And there's always a comment because I ask like, Hey, what, you know, what's your one takeaway? What's something you would change? What's something you would add? And people are always like, well, I'd like to do more of the, the fundamental stuff we did in the morning. I'm like, cool. There's a class for that. And yeah. that's why if you look at the schedule, it's always a fundamentals class. And then like a month later, it'll be a movement class. And there's some other things sprinkled in there, but, that's why there's a rotation like that. Like, yeah, oh, please come to the fundamentals class. Crazy. Like you thought it <clears> out or something. Yeah. And it's, and it, it, it's funny. And, you know, I, people hit me up, you know, cause I drop business cards wherever I can. And they're like, Hey, I really want to get into competition and I'd like to come to your movement class. I'm like, cool. I'm like, just a heads up. This is the common consensus for people who come to the movement class before they come to fundamentals. And a lot of those people are like, okay, I'm going to go to the fundamentals class first. I'm like, <laughs> great. I'll see you then. Like looking forward to it. Um, yep. Hey, I think it's because it's labeled fundamental. People have told me like, ah, oh, you should change the name. Like you should change the name. So it doesn't say fundamentals. And I'm like, yeah, I could, I could come up with some fancy buzzword, uh, which I did kind of try. I called it fighting pistol and fighting rifle fundamentals. Uh, but apparently that's already trademarked um, by somebody what? else. How the fuck yeah. Do uh, 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 Jaeger, Joe uh, Jaeger, John Jaeger, uh, James Jaeger, James Jaeger, James Jaeger. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. He, he trademarked that, uh, with his company. I was like, Oh, well, response. yeah, crap. And I was like, so I went to chain. Now it's just, you know, pistol rifle fundamentals. And I thought about it. I was like, you know what? No, like, I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to change it because hopefully I will just be able to make people realize that like, you need to always train in it. You know, it's okay yeah. to revisit. 
like, yeah, it's, it's set up so that someone who knows almost next to nothing can show up and get trained, but it's also there. So someone who's been doing it for a while can show up and get trained. Yeah. Cause it's just so some, where can people go if they want to sign up for one of your classes or find out more about, you know, what you're doing? Uh, so, you know, I've got the, the two social media pages, uh, Blake water 326, uh, on Instagram. And then there's, uh, maneuver training solutions underscore LLC. That's my, my company page. Uh, so that one, obviously there's going to be ads for like classes coming out, but then I still share things about marksmanship manual of arms. Uh, and then my company is maneuver training solutions. So maneuver training solutions, LLC.com will bring you to my website. Uh, and on there, there's the, there's a the class schedule. So you can see everything that's scheduled out. I'm um, scheduled through December right now. And then you see a class that you like on a date you like, you click on the thumbnail or the, the link right there and it brings you to a page and it's basically like buying a product. You just click add to cart, you check out and you are registered class. I get a notification, I get your information and about two weeks out, I email everybody, make sure they know that, you know, go back in, check all the logistics, give them a weather update and uh, some specifics about the range. One week out, I do the same thing. Like, hey, because it's North Carolina, so the weather is always changing. Always um, up in the air. Yeah. Like, we we get all the seasons all the time. And uh, when I got out here, I was taught the phrase, like, if you don't like the weather, just wait five minutes because it will change. We say the same shit in Michigan. Yeah. So I know like, how it goes. It, it does it. And then, uh, you know, and, and people just show up and uh, we have a, a good old time. I, I'm fortunate that I have access to a really good range facility. I get a lot of uh, room to play with there and uh, they're not super busy yet. So I schedule all my classes on weekends when there's really nobody else out there. So pretty much all the time, it's just me and my students in this entire range facility. So uh, we can do whatever we need to do for the class. Right on, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, listen, man, thank you for, for yeah. making the time. Uh, this has been incredibly educational. Uh, honestly, like I tried to make like a short list of stuff to go through. Like we got into the whole camo thing. And I mean, that was th that that's good stuff, you know, uh, that I think a lot of people overlook or think they already under, you know, understand or, or, I mean, whatever, you know, it's just, it's good information that people need to hear. Um, so this, this has been great. We got into so much. Um, I mean, honestly, I think we could probably keep going. So I'll, I'll probably, we'll get together. We'll do this again for okay. sure. Yeah, you know? sure. Um, but I do, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you got a ton of stuff going on, uh, and, uh, carving out the, you know, it's shit. It's been like almost two hours. So, uh, I appreciate it, man. It's, it's been great. And, uh, I will definitely, definitely be in touch. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. All right. All right. All right. So that was, that was my conversation. Uh, with Blake Flannery uh, of Orion Training Group and Maneuver Training Solutions, LLC. I hope you guys dug it. Uh, I I certainly uh, learned a bunch talking to Blake. Um, the camo thing was really cool. You know, I'll be honest. I, I find that stuff very interesting because it's a point of, it's a point of contention for a lot of people. 
uh, you know, oh, why do you buy this kit? Why do you buy that? Why do you buy this color? Um, so it is kind of <clears throat> cool to hear some validation, you know, that, hey, it doesn't necessarily in most instances make a ton of uh, ton of difference. And maybe that helps some people just feel a little bit better about what they've they've spent money on. Or maybe you realize, hey, I'm in the market for some new kit. Uh, maybe that's going to impact the choices that I make and, uh, and, and where I spend my money and things like that. But uh, certainly, Blake is a wealth of information, um, and if you guys are able to, uh, to to work it out where you can go take a class from him uh, and, and learn some of the, the good stuff he's putting out there, whether it's, you know, with him at, at Maneuver Training uh, or, or he's he's working with, uh, with Jared and Jason, who have both been on from uh, Orion Training Group, uh, it's all, all good stuff, and uh, super happy to be able to have uh, to have Blake on to talk about this, share what he's learned through you know 20 years of of uh, experience training, training other people, not just you know not just training himself, but training others to do what he was doing in the military. Uh, sir, you know it's it all lends itself to what he's doing today out with the civilian market and uh, law enforcement and contracting and things. It's all it's all relative. It's not always the same, but it is all relative. And to to hear about his experiences in the Marine Corps uh, and some of the, the the knowledge firsthand that he's had, it was just it was a really really just awesome discussion. And I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. I'm definitely going to be looking to to try and bring Blake back on before the end of the year uh, and just talk more. You know, there's so much there to unpack, especially as we get into things like like gear and and chest rigs and plates. And we talked, you know, a, a good bit about it here uh, on this conversation, but there's just, there's so much to unfold there, different solutions and, and different ideas and, and methodologies to how people build out kit and, and information that will really help you guys be more capable and, and more effective in how you, uh, and how you deploy yourself and how you operate and how you're able to protect yourself and your family and your home should you ever have to. So fantastic discussion like i I just can't say enough great information great information here uh and i really do hope that you guys enjoyed listening i certainly thank you guys for taking the time to to listen to to me jack my jaw and 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 bring blake on and and use up his time to to answer my questions and, and have a discussion with me so it's it's all real real good stuff but that's all i have this week uh i will have another episode coming at you guys next week but until then you guys get out there Hit the range, work hard, train smarter, and like we always say here, be prepared. Be prepared.